It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Rob McCoy, president and CEO of the Neon Museum, a nonprofit organization here in Las Vegas dedicated to collecting, preserving, and studying and exhibiting iconic Las Vegas signs. For membership and ticket information, go to neonmuseum.org and you can follow the Neon Museum on Twitter at Neon Museum. And Rob, welcome to the show. What long time no interview. I know. I went back and looked at the last time that we actually talked and certainly, yes, pointed out to our listeners that uh, once again, I have not talked with you for a while. It's been several years, actually. Well, uh, you've not interviewed me for a while. We've, we've talked. Oh, yes, absolutely. But officially, you have not been on for about three or four years. If they want to listen to your previous interview, they can go to talkaboutlasvegas.com and compare the former Rob McCoy to the current Rob McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> so that will work. Yeah, because I'm a few years older. Exactly. And supposedly wiser. Uh, well, that's questionable. I'm older and not wiser, so it works out very well. So let's first of all point out that, because I think we should, that due to the coronavirus, the museum is not open. However, it's accessible online, and you can get a sense of the museum from studying what's available there, as well as obviously once you reopen, people will come down. But I wanted to talk a little bit about. First, the history of the organization, then talk about the, the kinds of things you have there, not just the exhibits, but really the programming, and then in addition, what you're looking at as the future. I know you're expanding as well. So why don't we start at the very beginning, not your beginning, because that would be 1842, but let's Correct. talk about the beginning of the Neon Museum and how it started. Who were the great people that thought about the idea of, wait a minute, this is an art worth preserving? Well, it actually started back in the uh, early 1990s. Some of the great sign designers were standing by and watching the hotels being imploded and thought to themselves, oh, no, our signs are going to be next. We can't do this. Let's save the signs. And so uh, Young Electric Sign Company, their back lot, actually became the first repository for some of the great creations. And then the city of Las Vegas got involved, and specifically Mayor Jan Jones, and said, you know what, this is, worth, this is worth doing. It's our history. These signs are worth saving, and each sign tells a story. So she put a group together, and that's basically how it started. However, we did not become a fully-fledged, operating, open-to-visitors museum until 2012. Uh, that was a momentous year, you may remember. So we opened, the Mob Museum opened, and then the Smith Center opened. So 2012 was a watershed year for downtown Las Vegas. And really the cultural life of the city, in Correct. that sense. which changed forever at that point. When you opened, you were, when did you get involved with the Neon Museum? At what point? Because I know, obviously, you're, you're president and CEO now, but you were involved in it for many years before. Yeah, it was about 2007, 2008. Uh, I, I came onto the board. Obviously, I was at that point with a local corporation, but very much involved in the community. And I grew up with these signs. Uh, you know, my family's been here since 1939. And so I, I have a, a great affinity and respect 
for what these neon signs meant to the city. So I came onto the board, and then when I was chairman of the board uh, four years ago is when we went on a search for a chief executive officer. We actually went on a nationwide search, and after about uh, five or six months, the executive committee looked at me and said, we think you're the guy that could do this. And so I agreed to do it. I've never regretted that decision, and, and we haven't looked back. What's the most satisfying moment for you during your reign as president and CEO? Oh, I would have to say it's our most recent exhibition, which was the Tim Burton exhibit. You know, Tim's people reached out to me about two years ago now and said, hey, Tim Burton really loves Las Vegas. He loves what you're doing as a museum. Would you consider a Tim Burton exhibition? Well, how do you answer something like that? Let me take a guess. You didn't wait more than about a millisecond? Uh, That was about that. I was actually in Rome finishing a vacation, and I fell out of bed. And when I picked myself (laughs) back up uh, from the floor, I responded in the affirmative. And it's been quite a journey. Uh, This really is the most significant art exhibition in the history of Las Vegas. And I think our numbers prove that. And it's been a steep learning curve for me personally. I've never been involved in anything like this. And for our staff. And Tim had never exhibited in an outdoor venue. His exhibits, both at MoMA and LACMA in Los Angeles, were indoor exhibits in very traditional museums. And you know we are not a traditional museum. So this was a stretch for his, him and his team, too. So it was quite the collaboration. It's been a wild success. Unfortunately, because of the uh, coronavirus, we've had to cut it a few weeks short, but uh, it it really has been a pleasure. And I know just from being there, the the crowds that it draws, which is great from the point of view that, let's say you know nothing about neon signs or the history of neon in Las Vegas, but you're a fan of Tim Burton, then you're going to go to see his material and at the same time be exposed to the larger museum as well. And that was a key to this. So we had hardcore Tim Burton folks who made plans to come to Las Vegas just to see his exhibit. At the same time, they uh, were uh, exposed to the Neon Museum. So uh, it, it was really advantageous for us. And I think it took the Neon Museum to yet another level. On opening night of the exhibit, Tim's attorney had just gotten back from MoMA in New York City, and he said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure, Thaddeus. That's Thaddeus Stauber. And, and he said, I just want to let you know I just got back from MoMA in New York, and the Neon Museum is on their radar. Well, that's music to my ears. Absolutely. When you look at the museum as a whole, from when it started, and I remember at at a time when just the signs were a collection, as you mentioned earlier, when Yesco had all the signs in the, in, the, in the backyard, so to speak, and then when the museum started to acquire signs, there was a period where there were signs, but that was it. In other words, you had the boneyard, but more to come. And then you made the what I would call the momentous move to move the wonderful motel from the Strip. The La Concha, the yeah. La Concha, right to the, the site of the museum, and that became the opening to the museum. And I think that just added the right touch and a sense of permanence as well. It wasn't just signs. And then we'll, we'll talk in a moment about how some are lit and some are not and how that process works. But w- would you agree that that was a moment where it really helped put the museum on the map? 
Uh, it, absolutely. And then when you added our tour guides and our docents, they were able to add historical context and background to those signs and the periods in Las Vegas when those signs were designed and put on the Strip or downtown Las Vegas. So when you add all of that in together, I think it gave all of our visitors a very rich understanding of the city of Las Vegas, because you, you know this better than anybody, Ira. This country will never create another city like Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, this, was, uh, this is a very special place. It is, and it continues to differentiate itself in so many ways from other cities. And at the same time, there's a community here, and part of the appeal that I see of the Neon Museum is it also, besides attracting visitors, it also attracts locals who, for a number of reasons, number one is you get someone who worked in one of these hotels where the sign is now, and they can bring their family, their their kids, their grandkids, and give them their own history of their working history within that that organization based just on the sign and all of a sudden bringing back all these memories. Absolutely. And we're a multifunctional, multi-understanding museum. Yes, we're a sign museum, but we're also an art museum because these are some of the greatest examples of mid-century pop art that exist in the world. And we are also a history museum. And when you add all of that together, you have, you know, quite the appeal to different people and, and their different likes and dislikes. And uh, it, it's, it's really quite fun. When you decide to light a sign, because as I mentioned earlier, there are wonderful signs there. Some are lit and some are not. And it's been a gradual process because it's not as simple as flicking a switch and all of a sudden the sign is lit. There's issues of repair, renovation, installation, rewiring for safety purposes, etc. So take us through the process of how you decide which signs initially to relight and others that are on the on the way, so to speak, and not the assembly line, but just sort of, sort of in queue, ready to be, to be relit. Well, I guess the overriding factor is, first of all, their historical importance. And then number two would be affordability. And with affordability, we go from you know, a sign that maybe to relit it costs about $10,000. That was the Ugly Duckling, which is a beautiful example of neon. We relit that a year ago. That was about a $10,000 job. Then you go all the way up to the high end, which was the Hard Rock Restaurant Guitar. Uh, that was about $275,000. Of course, some people have questioned, it's interesting, some people have questioned the historical importance of that hard rock guitar. Well, that was the first one ever created in the world, and it has now been replicated around the world in various locations. So I, ha I make no apologies for, for bringing the hard rock guitar into the museum and lighting it, and it is a spectacular artistic piece. And because of its height, it really stands out. Right. Now, you're going to like this one, and I don't know if you know this, but we just relit the Stardust letters. And, of course, you know the Stardust is the only sign or hotel that had a font all named for it, and that is the atomic font. And so the giant Stardust letters that are right on the other side of the guitar have now been uh, relit, uh, and it is spectacular. Unfortunately, it happened right before we closed, so a lot of people haven't seen it yet. 
but it's uh, it's pretty neat. And when you reopen, I think that would be the, the definitely one of the ones to publicize and promote just because it, it is such a historical and unique sign. And as you said, the topography has its own name, as you said, atomic font. So, Yeah, absolutely. It's a great piece. Now, of course, it's much larger brother or sister is the huge pylon sign from the Las Vegas Strip from 1968, which sits in multiple pieces in the boneyard. That sign more than likely will never be put back together or relit. Uh, the cost to do that would be in into the millions. Just from a financing point of view, do, when you look at the individual signs that you decide to relight, do you then raise money for that specific sign's renovation, so to speak, or relighting? Or is it a part of a general budget? In other words, when you look at a sign and you see the stardust or you see the ugly duckling, do you say, okay, we need the funds for this particular sign to, to have it relit? We do both. Okay. Uh, with the Hard Rock Guitar, it was a crowdfunding on our own platform, and we raised about $245,000 for the guitar. It was wildly successful. Uh, we had contributions from uh, just about every state in the, in the country and from 13 foreign nations. <laughs> and I bet a lot of former employees and former guests. Yes. And, and, and then we also do things out of our general budget, and that is true with the Stardust and with the Ugly Duckling. Uh, we, we did that out of our own budget. We felt it was the right time to do it. Uh, and, of course, they were a lot less expensive. It's amazing stuff. Let's take a break. My guest, Rob McCoy, is president and CEO of the Neon Museum. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to collecting, preserving, studying, and exhibiting iconic Las Vegas signs. For membership and ticket information, go to neonmuseum.org, and you can follow the Neon Museum on Twitter at Neon Museum. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. Aviator One in a holding pattern until the return of baseball in 2020. Your Las Vegas Aviators AAA affiliate of the Oakland Athletics had an amazing inaugural season at the new Las Vegas ballpark. Great new food choices, a beautiful club level, park on the berm dog nights, fireworks nights, and family fun nights. Don't miss a minute of the action when the Aviators return to the Las Vegas ballpark in 2020. Season tickets are on sale now at aviatorslv.com. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Rob McCoy, president and CEO of the Neon Museum. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to collecting, preserving, studying, and exhibiting iconic Las Vegas signs. For membership and ticket information, go to neonmuseum.org, and you can follow the Neon Museum on Twitter at Neon Museum. I mentioned the membership, Rob. I bet there are people that are spread out throughout the country and overseas who are members of the Neon Museum or subscribe to the membership in the Neon Museum. Yeah, that is, uh, that is absolutely right. In fact, I, I, I've been known to say uh, from time to time that sometimes we get more love from people outside the state of Nevada than we do inside <laughs> the state of Nevada. Uh, but i got to tell you, our memberships during the Tim Burton exhibit have exploded. Uh, we went from about 400 members a year ago to uh, we're right at about 2,000 members today. And we, we think a lot of these people are going to renew. They've 
now found, I think, a new appreciation for our mission and our objectives as a museum. So that's another side benefit to, to having the Tim Burton exhibit. I'll point out also, well, full disclosure, Gina and I are members of the Neon Museum. And also as part, if you're a member of the Neon Museum at certain levels, you, you guys are members of the National Association of Reciprocal Museums, which is not easy to say, and I won't do it three times. But that allows you to visit other museums in other cities and states at no charge. Correct. That's a great program through the uh, AAM, which is the American uh, Alliance of Museums, American Association of Museums, uh, by the way, which we are currently in our accreditation process for AAM. Uh, it's also taken a hit with coronavirus, so our full accreditation uh, with AAM has uh, been put on hold probably until the fall. But uh, we're almost there, and we're excited about that designation. It's, it's sort of the good housekeeping seal of museums in the United States. No, that's great news, Rob. Now, the other part, I was thinking about this the other day, that you and the team have an opportunity. It would seem that even though people physically can't be there, that there are things you can add in terms of virtual tours or virtual interviews or virtual descriptions on the website as well. Have you thought about doing that during this time uh, with the coronavirus? How did you know that? Exactly. <laughs> I just assumed. <laughs> I actually didn't know. That's why. But I just thought it would be a natural for you guys to provide some uh, virtual content while people can't physically be there. That's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to do some virtual tours of the Boneyard. We're really looking forward to that. You know, our tour guides and our educational department uh, have quite a few things planned, and we will be posting that on our social media. And, and just to give you an example of how, the reach uh, we have with social media, our Facebook audience now is over 1.1 million, and that is twice the audience for LACMA in Los Angeles and the Getty Center in Los Angeles. And so we have a very robust social media network. Uh, we'll also... Uh, uh, be sending out emails. Uh, we have a large email list, and uh, so we're looking forward to it. We're 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 still we're still heading down that path, even though things are a little bit crazy right now. It is now. Since I'm on a great roll here of predicting things, have you thought about and maybe you're doing it already? But alluding to something I said earlier about how people, for example, at the Stardust side, people who worked at the Stardust would come and bring their family and their their kids, their grandkids, and talk about their time just because of the fact that the sign is relit. Have you thought about doing some, and you may have already done it, so I may be stepping either in the wrong foot or the right foot, doing some oral history uh, with some of these people that are involved, either in working at casinos that are long gone or people that were involved in the construction of the signs? Yeah, we have done some oral histories with some of the assigned designers. Unfortunately, a number of those designers are now deceased. What we have not done yet is to get oral histories from the local casino folks. But that will be coming. That is all part of our mission and our objectives. And we'll probably also be working closer here in the future with the uh, museum, uh, casino, uh, uh, the Nevada Gaming Museum, which at this point does not have a permanent home, but is doing a lot of uh, collecting. That's always the first step, isn't it? To kind of make sure you've got your stuff. Yeah, Having really your own, your own boneyard, so to speak. You mentioned about the impact of the Tim Burton exhibit. 
could you give us some examples also of some of the other things that have happened, events that have happened, people that have contributed in their own way in the last couple of years to make the Neon Museum burst out from a certain line level? I'm, I'm being metaphorical here, but in other words, it's at certain levels along the way as you develop over the years, and the Tim Burton exhibit, for example, really thrust you into another another level. Were there other steps along the way that you could clearly see that, that this was a path that the Neon Museum was going to be going down that will just increase as time goes by? And I'm mixing metaphors and thoughts, but I think it's just because of the allergies. Well, because we were such a unique museum and collection, and because I think just about every human being on the planet probably has this romantic image in their mind of vintage Las Vegas, we've kind of become a media darling. And so I don't think I had been uh, CEO for more than three or four months when CBS Sunday morning called, and they did about an eight-minute piece on us. And, of course, they have a very large audience. Mercedes-Benz did a major national commercial in the Boneyard. The Latin Grammys bought the museum for an entire weekend, and it was an integral part of the national, international broadcast of the Latin Grammys. At that point, you know you're at a place in time when your museum, quite frankly, has become kind of a big frickin' deal. Yep. Excuse the language, <laughs> but uh, it, it, we've kind of become a big deal. And so it's those points along the way that go, you know what, this is, this is a lot of fun. Uh, and we're saving history as well. I, I sometimes joke with Bruce Bottleson, who is our vice president of development here at the museum, and I know you know Bruce very well. Uh, I, I go, Bruce, when you're doing God's work, everything else falls in line. And there are days when I think we literally are doing God's work. There's a natural affinity, I think, both from the local and the visitor perspective, that you can't save everything and time marches on, but here is something that is, there's no bad memories with neon, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So you, it's along the lines of what you've just been talking about, that people just are naturally attracted to something that brings back great memories, fond memories, or interesting stories if you weren't around at that time. Right, that's exactly right. And the natural progression of this museum now involves our expansion across the street into the Reed Whipple facility. Uh, we will actually have, and our visitors have been telling us, uh, telling us this from the get-go, they want to see neon being designed and made. And so we will actually have what I'm calling a glass garage at Reed Whipple, where we will have live demonstration of uh, neon being made and bent and signs being constructed right at the Neon Museum. And, now, you, uh, you mentioned Rob Reed Whipple. For those of us, for those of our listeners who don't know what Reed Whipple is. Yes. So Reed Whipple um, was built in the early 1960s, just like the La Concha Motel Shell, which is our visitor center now. It started out as a Mormon stake center, then it for a short time uh, was purchased by the city of Las Vegas and became a temporary city hall while the new city hall was being built, and then it became a city of Las Vegas cultural center. It's now been vacant and empty for over 10 years, 
Uh, we've acquired it from the city. Uh, environmental remediation is now just being finished, and hopefully construction will begin. Uh, I should say reconstruction shall begin as soon as this uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic is over with. And it's, it's for the first time this building is going to give us indoor exhibit space, which we've never had. We've been an outdoor museum. So we will have an 8,000-square-foot, what we're calling Great Hall, which is both art exhibition space but also special event space. We will then have a smaller gallery, about 1,500 square feet. We will have the glass garage, which I just mentioned to you. And then upstairs, it will also house our administrative area. Uh, most people don't know this, but currently our administrative function and our warehouse function is off campus. We are uh, spread out over three different buildings on the campus of the Las Vegas Review Journal, and we've been renting space from them now for about a year and a half, and that will continue until we get into the new building. So everything will be under one roof? Correct. And what it also does is gives uh, so this new structure, this Reed Whipple building, sits on three acres. Uh, so we will have a third boneyard at the back of that property. And so basically, in essence, because we're currently on three acres on the other side of Las Vegas Boulevard, this will just about double our footprint. That sounds great. And also, I would think that within that new space, you'll, you would be able to have participating artists doing different things as well, not just the neon uh, glass aspect of it, but just if you wanted to, you could set up where artists could get involved and, and add to the cultural feel of the place. You are absolutely correct. Uh, in fact, one of my objectives when I took over this position was that the Neon Museum would tie itself as closely to the local arts community as we possibly can. And I think we've done that. We're dealing with local artists uh, every day here. And you're going to have some of their works as, as part of the formal permanent collection inside the new building. And I'm not going to say any more about that because it's kind of going to be a big surprise. But there's at least two local artists that we have commissioned to help us with interior design of the building. And I also assume you're going to continue with the artist-in-residency program. I remember I interviewed Julie a while back as one of the resident artists. So I, is that going to continue as well? Absolutely. In fact, uh, we just uh, finished our call for entries for the artist-in-residence program, and we had a record 120 applications from people not only locally, but artists also from around the country, and even a couple international. So I think we've got three or four finalists, uh, and that decision will be made here shortly. We're hoping that this uh, pandemic will be abated by the time usually our artist-in-residence actually takes residence here, and that's usually about July 1st. So hopefully we'll be able to complete that program. And then you envision, I assume, with that walkway or crossway going from the original side of the Neon Museum over to the Reed Whipple side, over the bridge or whatever you call it, the walkway uh, over the street, correct? Uh, yes, although that's down about a block. We're going to be working closely with the planning folks at the city of Las Vegas to come up with a new way to transport visitors from one side of Las Vegas Boulevard to the other. It's going to take a little bit of uh, reconstruction in the center median there to get that done, uh, but the city has promised us that they will work hand-in-hand -hand with us to make sure that our visitors can get safely across the street. 
Well, that's a great way to end it. My guest has been Rob McCoy. He's president and CEO of the Neon Museum. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to collecting, preserving, studying, and exhibiting iconic Las Vegas signs, and now much more, as you've just heard. So for membership and ticket information, go to neonmuseum.org, and you can follow the Neon Museum on Twitter at Neon Museum and other social media channels as well. Rob, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Ira. Always a pleasure. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah,